Hey gang, this week's episode is brought to you by 417 Helmets. It's collectible helmets and more. Many football helmets from just about every dead and forgotten football league you've ever heard of. Also, many baseball helmets from the Negro Leagues, as well as custom helmets. You want your business or your organization represented in a cool mini helmet format? Hey, check them out. 417helmets.com. Promo code GOODSEATS for 10% off all of your purchases. And now, here's our show. I was sitting here reflecting on his last year's accomplishments by the WHA. Many critics felt that we would not make the full season with 12 strong franchises. Of course, we have, and now we're entering our second year, looking forward to even a better and bigger success in the first year. We had season attendance last year that exceeded our expectations by almost double. This is one of the rewarding things that we received as in the management position of the league, having the fans accept the WHA as Major League Hockey in its first season. They wondered what kind of players we could possibly come up with, and our all-star team showed them. We had such players as Jerry Cheevers, Ron Ward, Danny Lawson, Wayne Carlton, Tom Webster, Ted Green, Johnny McKenzie, and the Golden Jet, Bobby Hall. The Bobby Hull story has to be one of the most exciting stories in sport. Hull is probably the most idolized player the game has ever known. After 15 record-filled years with the Chicago Blackhawks, Bobby Hull joined the World Hockey Association by signing a multi-million dollar contract that made sports history. The WHA scored another first-year coup by signing network television contracts in both the United States and Canada something that no other major sports league had ever done before. But according to Gary Davidson, the high point of the season was the new league's acceptance by the fans. What the fans saw, they liked. They came in increasing numbers, pouring through turnstiles from Boston to Los Angeles, Alberta to Quebec. Over three million of them in all, more than twice what the critics agreed would be a good first year's attendance. Even more significant is that the attendance figures improved as the season progressed. And now, with more stars coming into the league, Gary Davidson looks for that trend to continue. Welcome to Good Seats Still Available, a curious little podcast devoted to exploring what used to be in professional sports. Here's your host, Tim Hanlon. Well, greetings and salutations, everybody. How are you doing? Thank you for joining us. My name is Tim Hanlon, and uh, the proceedings that uh, you are now about to experience is known as Good Seats Still Available. Yeah, the curious little podcast that is devoted to what used to be in professional sports. Thank you for finding us, and we thank the uh, legendary, the professor, uh, Brad Palmer, still with us here in the Chicago area, the narration of that 1973 World Hockey Association uh, recap and preview film uh, and the uh, relatively monotone voice of, uh, of another gentleman also still with us, both of whom we'd like to get on the show, by the way, Gary Davidson, the serial founder of all kinds of challenger leagues. We've talked about many, many times and many different occasions in previous episodes. Check them out. Why don't you? But uh, it's the World Hockey Association, and we are back to it. And our guest this week, Steve Babineau, is uh, here to regale us 
uh, as we mark uh, 50 years or so, maybe give or take a few months, uh, certainly this uh, the first season, which uh, uh, would uh, essentially uh, be concluding, uh, let's say, the April or May time frame of this year would be about 50 years, yeah, uh, of the World Hockey Association. And um, Steve Babineau is the um, – I, I have uh, given him the title during the course of this conversation. I'm sure I'm probably not the only one to think this of him, but perhaps I'm the only one to step out and maybe give this – a title to him is the uh, the official photographer, I would argue, as you'll hear in our conversation coming up, of the World Hockey Association. And it's a great story uh, that is um, his because he is uh, a guy who literally got his first, uh, uh, not even job, I think it was even a pre-job. Uh, I wouldn't call it an internship. It was kind of more of a uh, an opportunity in high school uh, to start uh, photographing hockey games in the Boston metropolitan area. And the first, uh, I think the first real chance he got to do that was uh, from the very first game of the World Hockey Association, October 12th, 1972. Steve Babineau was in attendance for the debut uh, of, wasn't that wasn't the very first game of the WHA, but it was pretty darn close. I think it was like the second or third game. Uh, close enough for our liking. Uh, the debut of the New England Whalers taking on the Philadelphia Blazers. Remember them at the old Boston Garden. And as we'll hear in our chat, uh, the uh, uh, intertwining, shall we say, in the parallels of Steve Babineau's uh, uh, photography career, professional photography career, and that of this brand spanking new World Hockey Association. A fascinating uh, alignment, if you will, of both of those Histories and uh, the book uh, that you must uh, run, not walk to get uh, is uh, it's gorgeous uh, and it is uh, worth your time to find, get and cherish. It is called Behind the Lens, the World Hockey Association 50 Years Later, uh, photography by Steve Babineau and uh, writings by Brian Codanone, I think it is how you pronounce it. Um, it is uh, just out. It came out a couple of months ago. And it is chock full of uh, black and white, but actually a lot more color photography and old school color photography at that, featuring never before seen uh, shots of every uh, team that ever played and a whole lot of players to ever play in the World Hockey Association. These are images that you will not find on the internet, uh, at least not yet. Um, and to see Teams like the uh, Alberta Oilers and the Cincinnati Stingers and the Ottawa Civics and the Denver Spurs and the Michigan Stags and the L.A. Sharks and the Minnesota Fighting Saints, the various versions thereof. Of course, the New England slash Hartford Whalers, the Philadelphia Blazers, the Vancouver version of the Blazers, uh, the Quebec Nordiques and on and on and on the Philadelphia uh, Philadelphia, the uh, Phoenix Roadrunners and the I just it just on these are it is the Houston Arrows the it's inc the the all the various versions of the <laughs> the uh, New York Raiders slash um, Golden Blades slash uh, Jersey Knights uh, it, it's uh, a wonderful and wondrous uh, uh, look back in in uh, in amazing color photography form. Uh, about the this world hockey, the Cleveland Crusaders 
of course, I go on and on. I can go on and on. It's the book is it, you got to get it. It's fantastic. Uh, but we're going to talk about the the makings of this book, uh, and in and also uh, sort of a, this hand in hand the makings of Steve Babineau, uh, the professional hockey photographer who's still at it fifty years on, uh, is uh, work you will have seen uh, across a whole wide array of of hockey and sports and even concerts. Uh, as you'll hear, um, across the uh, Major League Baseball and the NHL and NBA, um, uh, images in the hundreds of thousands, um, and uh, also um, uh, does a lot of work with the Boston Bruins in particular, uh, and and uh, uh, has for some time. Um, this is a, a tremendous conversation. If you're a fan of the World Hockey Association or hockey in general, you will enjoy this conversation coming up with the great Steve Babs Babineau uh, in just a few moments' time. We get into the Wayne Gretzky rookie card. We get into uh, the Boston Bruins. We get into the the old Boston Garden that was housing three, count them, hockey professional franchises uh, during uh, the 1972-73 season, uh, the uh, Bruins – uh, and the Whalers just being two of them, you'll have to listen for what that third one was. Um, and uh, you're going to just enjoy the heck out of it. I think the only team that Steve in the WHA did not photograph was the uh, Miami Screaming Eagles. And there's a, there's a reason why, because they never really existed. They did, but they didn't. Um, but anyway, so uh, let us uh, uh, tell you about that in just a moment's time. A um, couple of quick promos here. Uh, if you love the WHA as we do, got two great sites for you, uh, and you'll have uh, remembered these from our episodes past, but these two sites are probably the best places to get your uh, WHA on. Uh, one, of course, is OldSchoolShirts.com, uh, and um, with a promo code GOODSEATS for 10% off all of your purchases, uh, an amazing array of T-shirts uh, and various forms of the World Hockey Association. You will find every team and then some represented there at OldSchoolShirts.com. Promo code good seats for 10% off all of your purchases. And if you want shirts but also replica jerseys of those World Hockey Association franchises of the past that you may just uh, uh, have remembered or can't get out of your mind, well, by all means, go to RoyalRetros.com royalretros.com with the promo code SEATS, S-E-A-T-S, for 10% off all of your purchases there. And the king of throwbacks there at Royal Retros will uh, 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 greet you with uh, not only great t-shirts, but a wide array of handcrafted uh, and personally um, customizable, you know, with your name and your number and stuff on the back, WHA jerseys. Sweaters call them. They're not really sweaters, but these are like these are the 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 real Megillah. These are uh, painstakingly uh, crafted from old photography. A lot of it uh, in color form, as you'll see, will match up really well with Steve Babineau's work. Uh, but uh, again, check them out at RoyalRetros.com. Great uh, uh, sports stuff across all kinds of defunct and forgotten leagues on both sites. But again, check them out. RoyalRetros.com promo code seats. For 10% off all of all your purchases and oldschoolshirts.com, promo code GOODSEATS for 10% off uh, your purchases there. We thank both of them immensely for their sponsorship and support of this here little program. 
All right, let's get to it. Steve Babineau is our guest at the World Hockey Association and pro hockey photography writ large is our uh, our topics du jour. Uh, please, as always, enjoy. Let's just uh, dive right in because um, I, I when I saw this book was available, I uh, I ran, not walked to uh, my browser to uh, uh, to get it. Um, uh, for those who haven't yet uh, experienced it, um, I, I have to, I'm just, it's, it's wondrous. Uh, this is like, literally this book literally is, is I think the best. And I've seen a bunch of books out there, time capsule because of the visuals are just so stunning. Um, how did this book come to be? How did you decide to, to do this 50 years on after the league's demise? Because, uh, I, I, to me, it's a, it's an eye opener and very powerful because of all the colors um, it, to me, it's a time capsule. Right. Well, you know, I mean, obviously I heard a few years before the 50th anniversary, you know, actually took place. You know, I started to hear about that rumor. And then also the rumor about, well, the story about the Wayne Gretzky rookie hockey card. And knowing that this was a starting point in my career, what well, the starting point in my professional career, I'll say, uh, I did go to games as a high schooler with a camera, but I wasn't doing anything with the pictures other than putting them on my bedroom wall. Uh, you know, I started to think about it. And, you know, I had, I had uh, the NHL acquired my NHL archive back in 2007. And I remember sorting things out and putting some WHA stuff in a few boxes and baseball in another, you know, another area. And then when I heard about it, you know, I started to think about the league, think about the players that I had photographed. And I said, you know, let me sit down, let me sit down sometime and try to figure out what I actually have. And I remember I had a couple of days off one day and I went through this particular boatload of boxes that I had uh, and sorted it out and said, wow, you know, OK. And I started writing down the different teams. You know, at that time, I kind of forgot that this team jumped to this, this folded, jumped to this, this, you know, the ownership moved around. And when I started to lay it out, you know, seeing the New York Raiders, New York Golden Blades, New Jersey Knights, San Diego Mariners, you know, I said, okay, let me put that in a pile. You know, the Whalers, Winnipeg, Quebec, and Edmonton was pretty cut and dry. But, you know, these other teams that that jumped or folded and and merged, uh, I said, wow. You know, I says, I really think I'm only missing three teams, Baltimore Blades, Calgary Cowboys and Ottawa Civics when I physically did not have a picture representation of those teams. Because if you look back at those three front, those three teams, I think they only really lasted maybe an average of three to six months. And then, then they folded or, or got absorbed by somebody else. So that's when it kind of hit me that I, that I said, you know, I've got a pretty good representation of this. And, and I had got in a conversation with Howard Baldwin, uh, the owner of the Whalers, both in the New England, in the WHA, as well as the NHL. And then he moved on to Pittsburgh. I got in a conversation because he had, we had started chatting about him possibly doing something. He's a film producer now out in California that he might be, uh, you know, interested in doing something. This other particular gentleman, uh, you know, brought it up to me that does a lot of WHA uh, things uh, on Facebook and stuff like that. And, you know, so, you know, I told Howard that I'd help him out if he needed any help. 
And then I thought about it and I said, maybe you could help me out, Howard, if I decide to do this book and write the introduction since you've seen me hanging around in your building back in the day. And so it was just, uh, you know, it really was probably a two year project for me to go through the film transparencies as well as negatives and spread it out and scan stuff and, you know, put it into the folders of the team or the franchise. And then if I learned anything in this whole process, and I, I tell these students that I talk with, keep the roster sheet of the game you're photographing. Because 50 years later, when you're trying to look up a player that wore number 14 for the Cleveland Baron, Cleveland Crusaders or something, <laughs> he may have only played 25, 35 games. You see what I'm saying? And trying to find out who that guy was took a little bit of research. You know, but I had a guy up in Canada that's a you know, kind of like a historian. His name is uh, Doug McClatchy. You know, I said, Doug, what do you got on the Baltimore Blades? What do you got on the Ottawa Civics? You know, and he's a huge collector of publicity photos, press guides, and stuff like that. So that's what you'll see in that chapter of the Baltimore, where the Baltimore Blades are represented. Uh, he provided me with a team photo, a publicity team photo, or uh, a, a program cover. So I really then felt, okay, you know, it's not like the Baltimore Blades are going to disappear in my book. They're still going to be represented in some capacity. And it's just that I didn't photograph them. But, you know, and that's, that's really where it kind of started. You know, and then the Gretzky card, the hype about that, you know, 1.3 million, then, you know, 500,000, 1.3. And then when I was in the project of doing the book, you know, that, that one sold for that millions of dollars. And I said, okay, well, maybe I'll make, since it is Gretzky playing in the WHA and I have all these other pictures of Gretzky, why don't I, you know, make that its own chapter, standalone chapter. And, you know, I'd, I'd run into Wayne down in Sunrise, Florida, when I was shooting the Panthers for upper deck, uh, when Yager went into second place for points when he was still playing and he was playing for the Panthers and Wayne was traveling with the Edmonton Oilers. And I was getting ready to go to the bench for warm up to take pictures. And he kind of looked over at me and it was like one of those looks like, you know, do I know this guy? And uh, then we met eyes again. So I went over and I introduced myself, you know, Bruins photographer. And his first reaction was, you know, what are you doing down here? And I said, well, I'm shooting hockey cards for upper deck. And he says, I knew you looked familiar. I remember you when I played with the Rangers, you would stand between the benches in the new garden and take pictures. And I couldn't believe he actually said that, that he put my face with the TD garden. And, you know, I was blown away. And, and, and he told me that he had uh, some type of working arrangement, I think with upper deck. And I told him I had a second home in Kissimmee, Florida. And that's why I was coming down, you know, to get, out of the cold weather and the snow when the Bruins went on the road. And, and then as I turned away, I looked at back at him and I said, Wayne, I have one for you. And he looked at me and I said, I took your rookie hockey card photo. And he just looked at me very like, you know, smartingly and, and eyes kind of bulged. Where was I playing? And I just laid it on the line. I just laid it on the line. You know, you came in with the league and with the Indianapolis races, you played eight games your rights get picked up by the Edmonton Oilers. 
You were supposed to be playing a game in the Hartford Civic Center, but the roof of the Civic Center collapsed in a snowstorm, and the team got rerouted to Springfield, Massachusetts. And you were down in Springfield, Massachusetts, playing in a game against Gordie Howe. And he just stuck out his hand and said, you win, <laughs> you win. And so having that meeting kind of like, I said, wow, okay, now I definitely have to make, because I got something to talk about what I just told you now. And I said to him that night when he, when he was waiting for Yager to come out, uh, I just got to put that card, my card in my camera bag and hopefully meet you someday and just get a picture of you and I together. And, uh, unfortunately, uh, COVID hit and, uh, he was traveling with the Edmonton Oilers in December of that year when there was minimal capacity and I put, didn't put two and two together, you know, and it's just another game, you know, and this is like how many years after Yaga retired, you see what I'm saying? And, and, and here's Wayne at the TD garden down in the hallway. And he's like looking at me with this look like Do you have the card. <laughs> I said, I don't have the card, <laughs> you know, and I immediately called my daughter you know, she does some trans, she does transmitting for me at the games and she had already left. So I kind of kicked myself in the butt, but you know, I really didn't think that Wayne would be traveling with the Edmonton Oilers on a road trip. And it turned out, I guess he was doing some media stops wherever they were playing. And, uh, so lo and behold, I'm down in Florida, this, uh, start of the season shooting games. And, you know, one of the requests was to shoot the Edmonton Oilers and they were playing twice. And, went to the first game and I asked the PR guy if I could sit on the bench and he goes, yeah, no problem. No problem. You know, I know who you are. And I said, is Wayne Gretzky traveling? You guys by any chance? And he said, no, no, it's not traveling. So shot that game and then went on to a couple of other games in the Florida. I think uh, the uh, Oilers, instead of playing Florida, like the next night or something like that, they went and played somewhere else. And then they came back. All I know is the, they came down to sunrise Florida and I asked permission to go to the bench again. And he said, yeah, you're okay, Steve, no problem. He says, by the way, Wayne is, Wayne Gretzky's here tonight. <laughs> so lo and behold, but now the book is out. The book is out. You know, we were trying to get this picture of me and Wayne together at the end of that chapter. And the book had to come out, had to go to press to have it out for the holidays. And, uh, and I saw Wayne up coming out of the suite to do a TV interview after the first period. And I had a copy of the book and, he looked at me and I said, I brought you a Christmas present. <laughs> and, uh, and then I said, you remember me? I'm the guy. Yeah. You didn't bring the card. And, but, uh, and this is how many years later, you know what I mean? And so this was like almost a six and a half year, seven year project to get this picture of Wayne and I together. And I said, well, I brought the card tonight. And so I got the picture of Wayne and I holding the card, my card. And I uh, actually took a picture of holding the book too, which is cool. The publisher really loved that. And, uh, so, you know, hopefully the book goes back into reproduction. Uh, it's doing very well right now, I'm told. And if we do go back into reproduction, we're going to put that picture at the end of that chapter. Uh, but if I've been doing these book signings at libraries down here in Massachusetts and somebody buys the book, I have a four by six print that I can stick in the book or I give it to them so that they can scotch tape it on that page. So if you've got the book, i gotta, I got to get you up a copy of that print. <laughs> we'll take it. We'll also try to get it online, too, for when we publish this episode. All right, so let's back up, and let's talk about yep. the beginning of all of this, right? So the beginning, uh, how does somebody like you, 
uh, and I'm guessing you weren't, quote-unquote, a professional at this point when the World Hockey Association was starting up. Tell us about your entree. <laughs> Tell us about your entree into this, your your interest in photography and and how the I don't know, the opportunity, the the, the break, the unwitting op- uh, situation where you get to shoot uh, something which became such a big deal uh, kind of out of the blue. Right. Well, you know, I was going to games, uh, baseball games with my Uncle Lenny back when I was eight, nine years old. You know, I played baseball. I played two years of semi-pro baseball, and I got hurt playing hockey. And, you know, so I was going to see the Red Sox. I saw Ted Williams hit his last home run at Fenway Park. And my next-door neighbor that went to school with my sister started taking me to Bruins games, you know, in the Bobby Orr startup era. You know, I mean, I remember going – I personally remember going to an, that exhibition game, Niagara Falls Flyers against the Oshawa Generals at the Boston Garden, seeing Derek Sanderson play for uh, Niagara and Bobby play for Oshawa. And they had a little uh, tidbit at center ice there uh, during the game. So seeing the Bruins play in the old days when they really were in competition with fifth place and sixth place in the NHL against the Rangers, when they were not not a good team – and it was the only original, you know, original six. He would be taking me to games then. So I, you know, going to high school uh, and the, how do I want to say it, the relationship between where I was practicing at night with my high school team at Harvard University at that rink and the Boston Bruins also used to practice at that rink if they couldn't get into the garden because of an event there. So here they were at 10 o'clock in the morning with Or Esposito, you know, skating on that ice. And here I was at 6 o'clock at night skating on that same ice. And uh, we played our high school games in the old Boston Arena, which is now Matthews Arena, which is Northeastern. So here I was playing my high school games where Eddie Shore did Clapper played. And I remember Coach Kelly of the team came up to me one day when we were over there uh, real early and I was in this dressing room why are we always getting dressed in this locker room? <laughs> and I said, coach, this is the Bruins locker room back in 1924. This is where Eddie Shore did Clapper. And he says, really? And, and so I had this somewhat of a connection growing up, you know, let's say Bobby Orr. Bobby Orr comes to town, we win the Stanley Cup. Okay. And all of a sudden rinks are being built here in, in Massachusetts. And uh, so, you know, that, was the start of it all. And when I started to go to games and buying obstructed view seats as a fan and going down to warm up in the old garden where the glass was so low compared to today, I literally being six foot three, six foot four, could just put my hands right over the top of the glass and take pictures of the guys warming up and being right there at ice level. And then going up to the obstructed view seat, technically, which was in behind the gallery guards up in the top balcony of the garden, standing in my seat looking down. I just wanted to take home some images of seeing the team practice at Harvard uh, or at the game and just pin them up on my bedroom wall. And uh, so in 1972, if you know the story, we had three teams playing in the Boston Garden. We had the Boston Bruins. We had the Boston Braves, the AHL team of the Boston Bruins with Terry O'Reilly and uh, Dan Bouchard, uh, Richie LeDuc, and the New England Whalers started playing in the Boston Garden as a new entry into the WHA. And so here was an opportunity now to go to three 
different types of games. I bought season tickets to the Boston Braves. They were only $5 a ticket. I had third row seat behind the penalty box, but I was next to the Bruins bench. And if you know, the glass of the bench is set back. And I had this window where I could shoot from my end seat. I could shoot that goal to my right, right over the tops of the players' uh, heads on the bench. And I had no glass in front of me. So I could shoot that goal to my right. Boston Braves, it wasn't sold out all the time. I could move around. And I went to the first uh, seven games of the WHA, and my seats were in the balcony. But if I remember correctly, I think the first game might have been sold out, you know, because it was a new entry, whatever you want to call it. And then after that, it was maybe 5,000 people, 4,000, 5,000 people showing up at a WHA game, and I could move around as well. So here I am, primitive camera, and my next-door neighbor uh, is giving me the hockey news out of Montreal after I've gone to three or four games of that lead. And there were four pages of editorial uh, in the paper dedicated to the WHA, but I don't recall seeing any game action photos. It was like publicity photos from training camp. you got to think about it. It's the, it's the second, third week of the season, and they're putting out a paper. And so what are, you know, people are writing stories or whatever. What are they using? They're using publicity photos that might have been accessible or they're showing, you know, uh, say Reggie Fleming uh, playing for the Chicago Blackhawks. And now he's with the Chicago Cougars. And if they're doing a little maybe tidbit story on him, they might be using a a Blackhawk picture just temporarily. And I saw this and I was kind of like, why don't they have any WHA photos, game action photos? And so I asked my mother if I could make a long-distance phone call to Montreal. And in those days, you had to go through an operator, get the rate, and agree to it, and then they would place the call. And, and I think if mom did not allow me to do that, would I be talking to you today? <laughs> and, uh, you know, the bottom line is she looked at me and she goes, okay, you have $3. And I think it was 15 cents a minute. And I made the call. And believe it or not, Charlie Halpin of the hockey news editor got on the phone and I asked him, Mr. Halpin, you don't have any WHA game action photos. And his response was kid. We don't have any. Do you have any? And I said, yeah, I've been fooling around black and white, you know, shooting pictures. I can set up the dark room in mom and dad's bathroom. <laughs> uh, and his response was send me up some. So I did. I printed up pictures that night put them in an envelope, mailed them up to Canada. I think it was two weeks later, next door neighbor comes by and he says, I think you might want to keep this one. And lo and behold, I had two pictures published, Tim Sheehy and Bobby Sheehan, I think it was. And, uh, but Mr. Halpin called me back and said, Hey kid, I'm going to get you a season credential. That league needs all the publicity they can get. And now I was going in with a primitive camera Being able to shoot, you know, in those days, it's not like today, NHL rules, it can only be eight holes in the glass. If I remember correctly, I remember seeing 12 to 14 holes in the glass in the old Boston Garden. And, you know, I just went wherever the guys that were in charge told me to go. And in most cases, it was on a corner position where I could have that goal in front of me. And my lens only got me really to the crease the goaltender, the crease, and a little bit into the slot area at that time, that camera that I was using then. And, uh, and I just honed in that area 
and I was published maybe about another eight times that year uh, in the paper. Then the summer came, and another uh, issue came up with somebody breaking into my mom and dad's apartment and stealing my camera <laughs> that I was using. But unbelievably, dad and the insurance claim threw money on the table, which allowed me to get a motor drive camera, uh, 35 millimeter with a, a 50 millimeter lens. And I went out and I invested in a 135 millimeter telephoto lens. And then when I was speaking with Mr. Halpin over the summer, I politely asked him, is there any chance of getting in to shoot the Boston Bruins? And he says, you know, real tough PR guy there, but let me see if I can get you into some games. And unbelievably, I got a credential for the season. And if I was going to be bumped, like say if they were playing Montreal or Detroit or something like that, a big team, uh, they were going to call me up. Somebody was going to call me up and I'd get bumped. But because of the number of spots that were available at that time to photograph from in the garden, I never got bumped. So I found myself in the Boston Garden shooting Bobby Orr, you know, last couple of years that he played. Um, and, you know, Phyllis Mazzito, and then we traded, made the trade to get Brad Park. And um, So next thing you know, I'm shooting the NHL, but I'm still keeping my oar in the water with the WHA because now the Whalers had moved from the Garden to the Boston Arena for two years. Then they were supposedly going to move into the Hartford Civic Center, but the building wasn't finished yet, and they had to go to Springfield. And I made some treks down to Springfield and shot teams as well as, you know, and I'm working a regular job. My baseball career ended with the second injury to my knee and uh, was going to college. That was my game plan. I was going to go to college, major in phys ed and play baseball. And, and I blew the knee out just before college started. They put me in a full length cast from my hip to my ankle. And I'm hobbling on the trolley cars and the trains to get into Boston to go to these classes. And I just said, I got to rehab this. I got to spend time to rehab this to play baseball. So I left school. I took a job. And with this company that I'd worked for as a junior and senior in high school, they actually offered me a full-time job before I went to college. And I said, do you mind me coming in to work with a cast on my leg for a couple of months? And they said, no. And I rehabbed it back. I played one more year uh, with that particular team. But now here I was going to Bruins games, season tick. I still had the tickets with the Braves and going to see the WHA. And I had my foot in the door at the Hockey News, which obviously then had Hockey Pictorial. Hockey World was a magazine that they had. And, you know, I just looked at it really not as a career. I just looked at it as, hey, I'm getting to go to games free now <laughs> instead of buying tickets in a roundabout way. My cost was in my film and processing. And, uh, you know, next thing you know, here I am and traveling, shooting, the w, you know, going to shoot the WHA, shooting the Bruins, and getting published, I had my first hockey cards with Tops in 1976. Uh, I had six photos used in that card set that they did that year. Uh, I think Dennis Verigard, Bobby Clark, I know was one of them for sure. Uh, but, uh, and that's how it really began, you know. And the Bruins started to see my pictures getting published, you know, here and there. And, you know, 
And in reality, that's really how it started. That mom letting me make that phone call, dad throwing some extra money on the table under that circumstance that we had. And, you know, I played the game, you know, I felt I knew what to look for, anticipate in hockey, same thing at baseball. Uh, you know, my baseball career was 42 years at the Red Sox. I shot for the Fleer Baseball Card Company for 14 years. Um, and, you know, anticipation, manual-focused era, had to be right on the money with your focus. And the speed of the game was not like today, but it was still much faster, you know, coming out of the shooting a baseball game and going to a hockey game. And, you know, getting the access, once I became the team photographer with the Bruins to be able to go to the penalty box and shoot games out of the penalty box with no glass. You know, I always saw our sports illustrated came up to Boston. They were always kind of given that position. So, you know, when I got the gig with the team, the Bruins, I simply asked, can I sit in the penalty box? And they said, sure. You know, it's your responsibility if you get clocked or whatever. And, um, you know, but go to the visiting team's penalty box. So I was in the visiting team's penalty box in the old garden shooting. And that put me in the game. I was in the game. I was at a totally different angle from shooting out of the corner position. I'm looking down the goaltender's throat. You know, I'm going to the bench during warm-up. You know what I mean? And shooting the visiting team. I was go to the visiting team bench and shoot warm-up. Because as long as I provided the Bruins with what they wanted, in, I was the color photographer, they didn't care what I did with the rest of the pictures. You know, they were not, you know, paying for my film and processing. I just supplied them with the pictures they needed for, say, six program covers during the regular season, two additional covers for the playoffs, team photo, press guide. You know, I kind of convinced the Bruins to change their press guide from one color cover photo and everything else black and white. They changed their press guide so it opened up with a color picture of the player. And I remember the PR guy, Nate Greenberg, I, I brought it to his attention. I said, wouldn't it be cool if you could do that? And we did it. And I remember him getting an award from the NHL for having the best press guy. And I remember seeing that plaque always in his office. And, and I felt that I brought something to the table to, you know, and that, that obviously got more pictures of mine being used because it was color. And, uh, you know, so getting in with the team and just supplying them with what they needed, you know, I realized probably in my fifth or sixth game, geez, I got 40 games to shoot the Bruins. And as long as I, you know, they call me and say they need Terry O'Reilly or Brad Park, Ray Bork, whatever. And I went and made a presentation and they were able to find what they wanted out of the take that I gave them. You know, I could shoot Ken Dryden. I could shoot Lanny McDonald. I could shoot Keith Magnuson, players like that as the marketing, as the league became more popular, you see what I'm saying? And licensing changed. It, you know, went from one card company to how many card companies? I think it once there was five, you know, Donruss, Upper Deck, Score, Pinnacle, you know, Pro Set, you know, and I worked for them all. I worked for them all. You know, 8 by 10 company, Norman James up in Canada, Photofile down in New York, uh, video game packaging, and I became a, I, I tell, you know, jokingly that I, I had to become a businessman. I had to become a guy on the phone talking to people or, you know, and uh, negotiating and whatever. And 
kept my regular job, you know, because it gave me medical coverage for my fan, you know, my family, you know, I got married and had to have some responsibility with that. And, but the bottom line was, you know, I'm going to my regular job just like anybody else. And those people working, then going and buying a ticket to a Bruins game while I was going to the Bruins game and taking pictures, you know, of the WHA taking pictures. So, you know, the WHA honing my skills in that league with a primitive camera, getting a little bit better, getting a better camera, taking that and shooting that league. And then, you know, going from shooting 40 Bruins games a year and throwing in another, you know, 10, 15, 20 WHA games, you know, shooting, you know, maybe 40, 50 games a year. I kind of get to know what I was doing, you know. And what, what, what the a, name kind of got. Tell me what the, I don't know, the, the differences were between what you were seeing in the NHL with the Bruins and with the WHA. I mean, you, you probably had a better sense than anybody because you were going to both with such regularity about what the similarities and dissimilarities were between these two leagues going at it. And, and interestingly, for a period of time, well, I, for a period of time in the same building, if you will, and the Raiders right. did too in New York. And there were a couple of other situations where they were shared. But I, I got to think you had a ringside seat, if you will, or a rink side seat, if you will, uh, to, I don't know, the tensions between the two and, and the uniquenesses between the two. Well, I think that I always felt that the NHL was a little quicker pace. And I felt that, uh, you know, Bobby Orr, Denny Potvent, you know, and you go to the uh, Gila Fleur, Speed. And the guys that were playing now in the WHA were, you know, the guys that were at the end of their career and all of a sudden he was some extra money that was thrown on the table. So, you know, they, they, they took that opportunity to do that. Uh, college players were starting to play or p- local people like Robbie Fatorek. Paul Hurley, Tim Sheehy, you know, guys that were on the borderline of potentially making an NHL team, but it was an opportunity to all of a sudden jump into that, get get into that league. Look at Gretzky at 18 years old. He couldn't play in the NHL at 18 years old. You see what I'm saying? So that's why he went to that league. Kenny Linsman, Messier. uh, But, you know, it, it was a lot more, you know, grit in the WHA with enforcers that say definitely we're not going to make it in the NHL that all of a sudden it ended up going to that league. And to me, there was a lot more fisticuffs in the WHA. It was more of a timely issue in the NHL. If there was fisticuffs, you know, if somebody went after a key player on a team, they were protecting, you know, I'm take for instance, John Wensink, you know, I remember John Wensink challenging the Minnesota North stars bench, one night, you know, at a Bruins game, standing in front of the bench and saying, okay, come on, come on, come on. who wants to come out? You know, you know, but that was, that wasn't the Bruins going out of the way to, to do that. It was just something happened, a fight broke out, and then, you know, okay, you guys want to mess with us, then we're going to mess with you. But, you know, uh, I just think that, you know, the pace of the game in the NHL just seemed to be quicker. The skill level seemed to be quicker, uh, better, uh, you know, and the guys that did jump to that league, the WHA, you know, were sort of kind of at the end of their tier, you know what I mean, at the end of their career. And it obviously, blossomed, uh, you know, gave 
credit to the WHA in a roundabout way. If you wanted to see Gordy Hall play, you want to continue to see Bobby Hall play. But it also opened the door for the European players, you know, with Hedberg and Nilsson, where the NHL had not really gone that way yet. They hadn't really gone that way, so, you know, in, in scouting and, and bringing players over. You know, I mean, I, I remember, like, you know, one of the first players that I was totally in thrill, thrilled with was seeing Boya Salmi play for uh, Toronto. You know, I thought he was a great player, a uh, fabulous player. But, you know, he playing in the game that was still somewhat aggressive in the NHL, you know, he, he took a pounding every night. He took a pounding every night because he had that skill factor. He had that skill of passing, skating, clearing out in front of the net. Uh, and so, you know, to me, that was the difference in, in uh, more physicality, toughness, uh, or I don't want to say toughness, but, you know, grit, I guess is what I'm calling, you know, Fans were going to WHA games not knowing really what to expect, but in most cases every game seeing some type of a, a, you know, a fight. You know what I mean? And I think if you look in my book and you look in the early pages of my book, you see that fight where Al Smith is going after a Toronto Toro player and the Toronto Toros have come off the boards and it also shows the fans standing up with the glass where the glass is so low, uh, you know, and, and that's what I remember of, of that league. That uh, you know, would it, would it be fair to um, say that, that? Would it be fair to say that it was it was more? I, I don't know, fun. Uh, maybe you had more to shoot, more more variety of stuff uh, versus say the the more staid yet more you know uh, finer points of the NHL version of the game. Yeah, well, I look at it and say it was probably a little bit slower to focus your camera on, you know, track the players in the WHA than it was to try to track yourself uh, with a Mike Bossy back in the, you know, early on, not early on, but when Bossy played or Gila Fleur played and, you know, especially or, you know, I mean, seeing or play uh, that second to last year when he basically, I think he almost played a full season, but then that second year he had the knee problem and he only played a limited number of games, but, you know, seeing guys like Brad Park and, um, I remember Norman Levier, even Norman Levier before he had his, his, uh, is, uh, you know, issue. Uh, I always compared Norman Levier to Guy Lafleur, speeding-wise. Rene Robert, you know, go back to Gilbert Parole. You know, those guys could fly. And, uh, you know, I don't remember anybody in the WHA that could skate like that, or skate like players like that. You know, it was more of a uh, slower pace in a roundabout way. Maybe a little more, maybe a little more passing, I would think because the pace was slower. Um, goaltending, you know, you had Cheevers there, you know, uh, Ken Dryden's brother, Dave Dryden. Uh, Bernie Perrant went to that league the first couple of years. You know, so guys like Cheevers and Perrant jump ship and go to that league. Okay, you say, okay, that's cool. But, you know, Cheevers left Cleveland after when they were going to move again and came back to the Bruins. Sanderson left the Blazers, came back to the Bruins. You know, McKenzie uh, hop, skipped and jumped a little bit, Johnny McKenzie, and uh, then he went with the Whalers. And I believe, you know, played with the Whalers. You know, the teams come into the NHL, and, you know, Gordy's playing one more year, and uh, Hully attempted, Bobby Hull attempted to come back with the Rangers, right? And then he had a problem. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I think just the pace of the WHA versus the pace of the NHL is what jumped out at me. And uh, and I had more players technically in, a, in an NHL game 
I had more players to photograph simply because of the licensing market. You know, the WHA did, they did WHA hockey cards back in the day. And the first few years they did them, they were all publicity photos taken from training camp, headshots, mug shots, whatever you want to call it. And then the last two years of WHA cards, top started to sprinkle in game action photos. And well, those game action photos were my photos because I actually started shooting for tops in 1976 NHL. And then when they found out that I was shooting the WHA color, that's where you see those WHA action photos of, you know, Winnipeg guys and the whalers and Gordy and Marty and Mark, how, you know, those are my pictures back in the day. And obviously the Gretzky one was a WHA photo. And any teams that uh, you especially looked forward to uh, shooting? I mean, obviously you were, you know, uh, closely, more closely domiciled to um, the, the Whalers franchise. Of the course. Whalers. But, but, but what, any other teams that were especially interesting? Yeah, or, well, having, having the Whalers as my home team and having to go see the Whalers all the time, you see what I'm saying, when they were playing other teams, I, you know, I would, you know, eventually I started going to the WHA games and, and not – uh, using, uh, you know, not really shooting too much of the Whalers. Not really shooting too much of the Whalers. Yeah, and focusing but, but I mean, more on the other teams. Of those teams, Hedberg and Nilsson. To see, to see Hedberg and Nilsson with Winnipeg was very, very interesting because, you know, I was always a Bobby Bobby Hull fan, and seeing those two Swedes play with him was really, really good. And you know, seeing Gordy with Houston in the in the Suns, and then seeing Gordy with uh, with the Whalers in the Suns to see them again. I remember that was the comment I made when they asked me to go down and shoot Gretzky was, well, he's going to be playing in a game against Gordy Howe. I wouldn't mind going to see Gordy one more time, you know, and shooting him again. Uh, but, you know, you know, seeing these teams jump around, you know, and uh, having to go back and say, okay, I'm going to see is the uh, New York Golden Blades that I shot before, you know, now they're the San Diego Mariners. You know what I mean? And, and Andre Lacroix is still playing with them. Some of those other players had moved on, but there were some other players that played, but it was a different uniform. So I wanted to, do, I wanted to document that. You see what I'm saying? And, and, uh, and get it. And there was a demand, you know, that like those last couple of years of WHA, like I said, with tops wanting action photos, now it made sense for me to keep shooting action photos. You see what I'm saying? And uh, so... It was, you know, the, the four main teams, I think Houston, Winnipeg, Quebec, you know, Real Cloutier, Serge Bernier, you know, Mark Tardif, and uh, seeing J.C. Trombley in the early days with that team, having, you know, gone to Bruins games when he was playing with the Canadians back in the day. Uh, you know, seeing those four teams that eventually came into the NHL was always a good game, was always a good game. And, uh, you know, whatever. So, uh but, you know, just trying to document, I think, what it was. But it wasn't really setting into me. You know, I didn't know the league was going to fold. You see, when I didn't know the league was going to fold. Nobody knew that until that summer and all of a sudden it folds. Well, actually, that's my next question. So I, I'm really curious as to, like, so you're, you're in the 
press area, right? You're you're hanging around journalists and other photographers and stuff, and and any if there's any speculation about a team folding or moving or or the league's viability and that kind of stuff. I suspect that you were at least aware of sort of the rumblings, the conversations, the rumors, and that kind of stuff. What did you think the WHA was as it was going along, stability-wise, and then kind of when did you know it was? wobbly and or not long for this world well i think you know going into that last year you know that, that last year you got gretzky coming to the league and the reason why he came to the league he couldn't play in the nhl at 18 years old so i mean if this kid is coming to the wha and playing here he's not going to be around next year in the wha because obviously some team will sign him you know or make a deal with him and you know i really didn't hang around too many of the writers uh, the, the same beat writers that were covering the NHL were, were covering the, the WHA. And uh, I really didn't hear anything. You know what I mean? I just went about my business and went into the games and, you know, shot pictures uh, of the WHA. And then eventually when I became the, NHL, the Bruins photographer, I had to deal with photographers and positions and photo positions. So I'm more kind of focused on the photography end of it. But, uh, you know, I just, treated it as going into that summer that, okay, what are we going to do next year? And, you know, do I continue to shoot this league? Because now the team had moved back into Hartford and then the, the roof collapsed and they had to go back to Springfield. And from where I live, where I live, the uh, Hartford Civic Center was an hour and a half drive just to get to. So here I am still working going to that hockey game, coming home, and then going into work the next day. It was like, well, I don't know if I'm going to do this, if it's still going to, you know, I didn't say if it's still going to be a WHA, but, you know, I had more of an avenue now being in with the NHL to market my pictures. So when it was folding, it's like, wow, okay, they, Hartford's coming in now. That's going to be an NHL franchise. Now I have the option of shooting – a team that I could go to Hartford, a visiting team coming into Hartford that I could shoot so I could see the Rangers playing in Hartford on Saturday and seeing Boston, Quebec on Thursday. You see what I'm saying? And then the Bruins might be playing somebody on Sunday, Montreal. So I was getting to see more NHL teams. That was the advantage for me with that. And traveling, I didn't mind shooting an NHL game and driving down to Hartford because my market uh, was now bigger with tops, you know, uh, at that time, you know, I remember in 78, 79, you know, when that league folded, I installed strobes in the Boston guard flashes, flash units, which increased the quality of the photography because I was able to shoot a different type of film. And that really opened up my market with tops that I was shooting with strobes. Okay. And they wanted more of that type of photography rather than an available light photography. And there was a photographer that they were using out of Washington. Uh, and it was me giving them another building, you know, rather than seeing the photo, the cards always against the Washington capitals. So, uh, it was just another, and I ended up putting strobes down in Hartford. I ended up putting strobes down in Hartford when the league, the WHA folded, and now it was here they were playing in the NHL. 
same thing. I just looked at it and said, if I'm shooting on strobes and I have two buildings to shoot in, Hartford and Boston, uh, it's going to improve my, increase my sales because the licensing business started to expand. Eight by 10 companies, poster companies, you know, if you, you know, players association and, and the logo licensing part of it. So all of a sudden, here was this avenue for me, you know, and I, and I talk about, you know, shooting a Bruins game on Thursday, going down to Hartford, shooting another NHL game on, uh, on Friday that they might be playing somebody, then driving up to Montreal on Saturday, shooting an NHL game, Montreal versus Chicago. And then the option was who's playing on Sunday in Ottawa or Toronto, which based on the team, I was able to go over to Ottawa or Toronto on Sunday, shoot a game, and then come back to my regular job. So I just felt that by me shooting more pictures of the NHL and getting a variety of inventory of players in different buildings, it increased my, my outlet with these licensees. And, uh, and that's what I did. That's what I did. A couple other things before we, we wrap, then I'll let you the promote. So you, you also, though, uh, when the WHA did their, uh, I guess their, their approximation of the Summit Series, if you will, and whether it was 76 or so, you also shot that too, correct? I went to one game. I went to the first game, which was in Quebec City. And I believe my wife and I, my wife's from Nova Scotia, and we were going up to Nova Scotia <laughs> eventually and uh, driving. And I went to that game uh the first game in quebec city and went was it in time to shoot a practice part of a practice you'll see some of those pictures in the practice in the book uh, and was in the press room while the players were doing interviews you see some of those pictures and then my position uh was elevated and at that time i really did not have a super long lens i had an 80 to 200 millimeter lens i think at that time and, uh, but my position got me in an elevated position where in developing the picture, you know, I could blow it up a little bit and you'll see a good representation of that stuff in that chapter. Uh, so I felt that, you know, all the players that were the key players for, for them, for, for, uh, team Canada, you know, Henderson and Hull and, and Howe and, uh, you know, Cloutier, not Cloutier. Yeah. I think Cloutier. But Cheevers was in goal. You know, I got, I got those guys in that first game. And then I, 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 you know, I looked at the Russian team that they were playing and, and said, okay, there's some superstar players on, you know, in my mind, great players on this team. And that's why I, I did that other section on the, on the Soviet players, simply because I felt that that would be players that fans may remember, you know, that a couple of those players ended up coming into the uh, NHL, especially, you know, not uh, Tretiak, seeing Tretiak, and knowing what Tretiak, uh, how he played in, you know, the other Team Canada series, the other other games that Team Canada play against them, and here was Tretiak playing here too. So, uh, yeah, it was just one game, and then I think they they went well. They they went around to different cities after that. So, but Quebec Quebec was the closest one at that time. Given all the stuff that you shot, though, uh, and in particular for the WHA, I, would it be fair to say that you were uh, either the unofficial or perhaps de facto official uh, chronicler of the WHA when it came to photography? Because, I mean, just looking at all the pictures well, I think, in the book, it seems like you've yeah, got. I think if you look back now, I think 
I was never I was never called the official photographer of the WHA, but because I had shot the game over its length of time, uh, sitting with what I have now, and you making the comment that you, you see these pictures, and you know, I mean, I'm told I was told by uh, the NHL Network Mick Kern guy that he, other than the hockey card pictures that are in the in the pictures of those pictures, that there was really only three other photographs that he had ever seen before that were in my book, this new book. And every other picture in that book has never, ever seen the light of day or been seen. Yeah, so, I mean, my God, the, and that's the, what the I, whole, just, just, just the chapter alone on the New York, uh, uh, the Raiders into the Golden Blades, into the Jersey Knights, into the right. San Diego. I mean, I haven't seen, I've never seen some of these two. And, and the, the colors of these uniforms for the short period of time they exist, they were just fantastic. Right. Yeah, they like the throwback jerseys as the NHL is doing now. You know what I mean? They're coming oh, up with those throwback well, okay, jerseys so that are that, very, very colorful. That leads me into my in my last question, right? So uh, arguably, so let's, let's give you the benefit of the doubt of being – We'll unofficially title you as the official photographer of the WHA, okay? So <laughs> sue us if we're wrong. Thank you. But uh, so that said, you must have an interesting perspective then into all of these things when it comes to retro or uh, retroactive uh, remembrances or not. Like I, and I was thinking about this last night watching the uh, outdoor uh, game down in Raleigh last night uh, of the of the the hurricanes, right? The Carolina Hurricanes, which obviously is a very sore spot for anybody who lives and has lived for a period of time in Hartford, right? Given that franchise's relocation right. years ago, I guess the question in there right. is, how do you feel about uh, the, either the absorption, uh, the selective memory, or or in many more cases, the sheer uh, amnesia around? some of the origin stories of some of these teams in the NHL when they were part of the WHA and or the WHA teams that no longer exist anyway, but were something back in the day that nobody, for whatever reason, seems to want to remember. Well, I mean, I think if any team has tried to remember the, their franchise history, it's probably the Whalers. And I could see why Whaler fans in Hartford, you know, team moving to Raleigh, uh, but obviously that was a financial decision. You know what I mean? That was a final because, you know, Hartford is smack dab between New York and Boston. You know what I mean? And, and, uh, uh, you know, and they're trying to keep that genre or lifespan of that franchise alive by wearing those jerseys. You know what I mean? Uh, every once in a while. And I, I think that's cool. Uh, but, uh, you know, there's not, you know, where are you going to see the Quebec Nordiques jersey? You know, the, you know, the Winnipeg Jets might, might have done something back in the day or have done it over. But, you know, it's, it's a league that, you know, the NHL, you know, that I don't want to say wants to talk about or, or remember, but uh, uh, it, it's a stepping stone for expansion. That's the way I look at it. If, if it wasn't for the WHA, the league, the NHL, wouldn't be as big as it is today. You know, it allowed, you know, four teams to come into the league, of which, you know, uh, Edmonton survived. You know, Quebec did not survive, which is kind of strange. But, uh, um, you know, and it allowed those teams, Winnipeg survived. It allowed those teams to 
forced expansion and uh, in a roundabout way, and then it led to other expansions in other areas of the of, the, of North America, you know. And uh, so I think the WHA served a good part in its history or in its life that allowed hockey to get as big as it is today, you know. And uh, it's cool to see a team go back and, you know, pay a little tribute to something from the past, you know. So. Well, I, I, I certainly agree. And I like, I, for example, I look, I keep an, a keen eye on Houston, right? Because Houston's always in that sort of, right. you know, next group, next group up, if you will, to possibly, you know, take a, a, an NHL expansion franchise. Now, we can argue about uh, the viability of some of the current franchises, like, say, you know, uh, Phoenix, et cetera. But uh, I wonder if Houston ever does uh, get the call, so to speak. I mean, why wouldn't you want to incorporate some of the, at least in the origin story, right, which seems to be very much part of the marketing dynamic these days, right? The, the way the Seattle Kraken came about, right? And the, any of these new teams or leagues and stuff, or even if they're retro, they always try to go back and try to suss out a little bit of historical lineage or, or story or rationale as to why that color or that thread in the logo is what it is. Um, it's a little bit sort of, you know, revisionist and, and maybe artificially constructed. But if somebody goes into Houston with an NHL franchise, I mean, to not at least tip a hat or or a wink and a nod to the arrows for that for they were one of the longest lasting franchises in that league and arguably proved that you know that that pro sports in the winter can actually succeed in houston and you know and a bunch of different stories around that team and league and the players for certain um i, I think it's kind of be, be very very odd to kind of just create something out of whole cloth and not recognize the if you will the past history um, I think the same thing for, for Minnesota, you know, with the Minnesota North Stars and and uh, and all these other teams that have sort of these this diaspora of other places that they played. It just seems sad to whitewash and or ignore that. Right. I mean, I, I agree. I don't think that the league should expand anymore. I personally just think that if a team is in trouble and it has to relocate, then they should really seriously think about these other locations from the past, like Quebec, like Houston, you know, that Minnesota, you want to say Minnesota, but you know, it's, it, they're not going to go, the Minnesota wild is it. So, I mean, that's not going to happen, but Quebec being in Quebec, a different province, I would think would be a good opportunity. Uh, but I just can't see with the amount of teams that we have right now. And, um, uh, for, you know, all of a sudden we're going to expand again. You know, I, I, I don't see that. I think if a team was to, like, you talk about Arizona, you know, uh, are they going to survive out there? What's going on? You know, if, if they don't survive, just saying them speaking, I'm not saying they're not going to, but if there was a team that was going to have to fold or move and seriously look at these previous locations where the game was played, and somewhat, even, you know, you talk about Hartford, okay? You talk about Hartford, the fans in Hartford, all right? But, you know, they would have to probably build another building, you know, and is, is that financially, you know, affordable to do for what they're going to draw? But, again, they're in, you know, you got the Islands, you got the Rangers, you got, you know, the Devils, you got Boston, you got Montreal, you know, 
that's why a lot of these AHL teams left our area. You know, uh, there was just so much hockey in this area. You know, I was the Portland Pirates photographer. I was the Worcester Sharks photographer. I was the Manchester Monarchs photographer. You know, I started off with the, the, the Lowell Lock Monsters back in the day when Shara played there. And there was just so much hockey in this area that, you know, the minor league, you know, and it, but the, I think the number one reason was getting the team closer to their parent franchise team, you know, and moving those teams out west so the guy didn't have to fl- fly 3,000 miles if the L.A. Kings needed a player brought up. You see what I'm saying? And, and that was the, the biggest thing. But this area right here, from AHL standpoint, was a hotbed back in the day. I mean, I was going, you talk about going to NHL games and driving around, going to Portland, Maine, going to Manchester, Worcester, and stuff like that. I wasn't going to every game, but I had a deal where like 10 games a year with each one of those teams. So, uh, you know, I think thinking about the teams that somewhat survived in the WHA uh, would be a good option if there was a team to be in trouble in the NHL and look at them first. <laughs> No, and, and and a gold mine for retro jerseys and color schemes and and all that kind of stuff. And and um, you know, we saw a little bit of that with with the Colorado Avalanche, right? With uh, when when they won, they, they, they we saw a couple of uh, Quebec uh, jerseys sort of in there and stuff. And it's kind of a sort of a almost like an inside uh, I want to say inside joke, but sort of a uh, an in the know, an insiders kind of thing <laughs> to know why those uh, jerseys are there. But it's to me, that's at least something, right? Um, and whether that's you're, you're, you're... Yeah, you're recognizing what, what happened in the past and, and paying somewhat tribute to it. You know what I mean? And, yeah, okay, Quebec lost their team, but they went on to Colorado and won the Stanley Cup. You know, they, they were successful. You right. know? And, 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 if the uh, Devils, and if the Devils win again this year, okay, let's uh, let's pull out those Kansas City Scouts uh, uh, jerseys and bring them back. <laughs> That's it. All right, so absolutely, absolutely. Give, us, give us some promotion here. Uh, give us the name of the book and all that kind of stuff, uh, what you've been doing to promote it. And and then remind us again what what you think you're going to do with the uh, reissue to incorporate this uh, special photo. Well, the book is called Behind the Lens, and it's basically my life photographing the WHA over its entirety of its uh, history. And it's written by a gentleman by Brian Cottigan, who is affiliated with the New England Sports Museum down here in Boston, which is inside the TD Garden uh, around the bowl level five and level six of the TD garden. And, uh, Brian had written a couple of other book. He wrote a book on the whalers, the new England, uh, the Hartford whalers. And, um, so I knew that he had a link to the WHA and it just made sense that he's in the same building that I'm working, you know, every night, you know, whatever. And we sat down and talked about it and he thought it was a great idea. So, uh, and you know, he's the one that dealt with all the franchise chapters. I dealt with the intro to the book in a roundabout way and the, and the card chapter, but everything else in the book is written by Brian. And, uh, you know, it's on Amazon right now. It's, it's in Barnes and Noble's website as well down here. Uh, but it's on Amazon and it's doing from what I'm told very well up in Canada, because there are a lot of diehard people up there that can react to that league. And it, it has a strong following up there. Um, so, you know, I'm just somewhat excited that it's my third book, a book on the Bruins, black and gold, and my book on the Red Sox, the hometown team. And this is my third book. So I guess I'm considered an author now. (laughs) And, uh, you know, it's, uh, you know, it's out there and it's doing very well. 
And, uh, you know, if, if you like hockey and you want to see some pictures you've never seen before in your life, and you, it's, it's really a, look at the photos and understand when you're looking at the photos, the grain in the picture. That's the different arenas that I went into, and I had to process the film a different way going into the garden, Boston Arena, the Hartford Civic Center, the Springfield two buildings, Madison Square Garden when I went down there. Uh, you know, and it's manual focus. It's not like today where the camera takes the pictures. The art of photography right now is gone as far as I'm concerned because the technology with Photoshop and the computer and everything uh, that's out there, uh, the camera takes the picture. The camera takes the picture. You just press the button and the, the lens, the camera focuses. And so compositional structure, you know, that's why I shot hockey cards all my life because I was shooting the game vertically when everybody else was kind of shooting the game horizontally. And a lot of photographers today still shoot the game horizontally because the quality of the camera allows you to crop the photo vertically. But that's one more step that you've got to sit there and do after you shoot the game. Where I shot the game before, manual focus, processing film, I wanted to give it to the editor in the format that he could put it on a magazine cover or a hockey card. And, you know, I could sit there and shoot 3,000 pictures a game, which I say is ridiculous, but some photographers do that, you know, and I'm shooting maybe 500 pictures a game, which I don't have to edit. You know, I have an editor doing that for me. So, you know, they're doing that while I'm shooting the game. And, but, you know, for somebody that's shooting 2,000 pictures a game, that's another four hours, five hours of sitting there for somebody to go through those pictures and you yeah you don't need to do that you don't need to do that focus on focus on the what you need to get from that particular game and you know like last night i shot uh we played the islanders and horvat you know horvat is traded player to the islanders and obviously his name was on the nhl shot list you know for sure and jake debrus coming back after being injury injured you know scoring a goal on his first shift you know, that was a moment that, you know, they wanted him, you know, shot right away. So, I mean, uh, I don't know. It's just a different, I don't know. I'm old school and I just look at it and say, you know, do I want my editor to be sitting there for three hours editing the game? No, I want them to edit the game in the time frame that I'm shooting the game. And then if there's a specific photo that I think is unique pointing it out to them. And in most cases, I'm letting my editor, which is my daughter, pick the pictures that she likes, but she's doing a little bit of, she's seeing the shot list. She's knowing the game situation. You know, I got a game tomorrow and it's David Krejci's 1000th game. So we're going to have a pregame ceremony. So, you know, they'll, I'll shoot a bunch of photos of that and she'll probably narrow it down to five or six images from that ceremony, which will get selected. You know, where other guys might be shooting that event and shooting 250 pictures of that event. You know what I mean? And uh, so it's whatever. <laughs> you know, that's the way I look at it. What needs to be remembered from my standpoint, being a professional photographer in the changing of times moving forward, 
if a photo is sent out today digitally to an outlet, okay, like for example, you go on you go on Getty Images right now and you look up Steve Babineau, there's going to be forty eight thousand pictures pop up of just under my name. If you went in there and typed in Bobby Orr, space, space, Steve Babineau, then the Bobby Orr pictures would pop up that the NHL has put up. But once that photo was sent out in an email or down Dropbox, the attachment to the photographer is lost. And from my standpoint, being a rookie back in 1972, and seeing photography that was utilized or used by a Harold Barkley in Toronto, the Trahovsky brothers in Toronto, David Bier and Denny Brodeur, Marty Brodeur's dad. What's frustrating for me is that they have not been recognized uh, as what I would call pioneers. Okay, yeah, I've shot the game for 50 years, okay? You want to call me a pioneer? Fine, okay? I did my thing. But the bottom line is seeing a magazine cover in 1966 on a newsstand that had Moose Vasco and Glenn Hall and Nett in color, and my, I remember just staring at that magazine and saying, how did that guy do that? How did he stop the action? How did he get the color? And I would have only been like 12 years old, 13 years old. So that embedded something in my mind that, you know, photographers are not recognized. Writers are recognized in the Hall of Fame, okay? But photographers are not recognized. I have 10,000 pictures at the Hockey Hall of Fame in the back room because over an eight-year period, every hockey event I went to, college, AHL, you know, NHL, I provided one roll of unprocessed film to the Hockey Hall of Fame. Okay? That was my deal. And so I'm in the Hall of Fame, technically, with my archive, with some of my archives in there. But, you know, writers were working full-time jobs working for newspapers back in the day, you know, outlets. But photographers that went to games in the 30s, 40s, and 50s, what was their outlet? What outlet did they have? How many people were, you know, talking about hockey, you know, and, but they documented the game, which allows the Hall of Fame to have this exhibit of a particular player. Yeah, it's got his jersey, it's got a stick, it might have a trophy, but it's also loaded with 15, 20 photographs back in the day. And they were taken by somebody. You see what I'm saying? And, you know, those pioneers to me should be inducted in the Hockey Hall of Fame and go from that. But it's not being done because photographers are not an association. Writers are an association. Okay. And again, they had a full-time job or a job where they were being paid money and they bonded together and formed an association. And it's a legal document and it's recognized by the hall of fame. We as photographers are not an association because we're technically independent contractors of our team or over the years, you know, same thing. Where was, you know, Marty Brodeur being the team photographer, Denny Brodeur being the team photographer for the Montreal Canadiens. Okay. He was making some money. Like I was making some money with the Boston Bruins, but it wasn't enough to, you know, support his lifestyle. 
you know, he, I'm sure he was a photographer doing something else, wedding photography, whatever. So that's my frustration right now is that, you know, I'm seeing my pictures everywhere, you know, on the internet, you know, on, uh, magazines, stuff like that. And, you know, it says NHL images, it doesn't say NHL images, Steve Babineau, you see what I'm saying? Uh, but I'm seeing them on Facebook pages dedicated to the WHA to this and that, this and that. And the picture is there, but it doesn't have a swash mark on it, or it doesn't have under the photo saying photo by this guy or that guy or whatever. And that is going to be something that's lost going forward with this digital craziness right now. You know, you know, I, we post like 75 pictures to the NHL slash Getty, Getty serves as the distributor. And, you know, they go in with my name on it. But the next thing you know, I'm seeing them on the Bruins Facebook page and my name's not on it. You see what I'm saying? Is, or that, it's credit, being up is, the, is that credit you're, you're, you're concerned about or compensation or both? It's, it's not compensation because I have a deal signed with the NHL to shoot games. That's the way the world is now. The, the photographers do not have the rights to market their pictures. Okay, like I did back in the day. That all changed in 2007, where all the team photographers in NBA, you know, Major League, they all work now technically for the league, and the leagues own all the photos. So, uh, but in the deal, you know, we are the photographer, you know, and we're supposed to be noted with that, that we took that picture. You know, the Bruins used to put, uh, some teams put up galleries of the game, previous game, and, you know, the gallery photos would say my name. Okay, fine. But now uh, the gallery some, sometimes has been dwindled with certain teams. Like, I don't remember seeing the Bruins now put up a gallery. Okay, I see a Facebook page with pictures of the game, but it's not a gallery where you click on the picture and my name comes up. It's a picture that's just there and it's being shown. And that's what's being lost is the, where did that all start from? Who took that picture? You know, and once the picture's sent out, you know, my picture ends up in Colorado or something like that. Over the, on the call, Colorado, I got to shoot both teams. I have to represent both teams. So a picture of mine ends up in Colorado, out in Colorado, and it's utilized by a paper or something like that in Colorado or the team, you know, my name's not going to be on My name is embedded in the metadata file, but it's not going to pop up if that picture is used somewhere, you know, in something locally. And, you know, but the recognition of the pioneers to me is what needs to be addressed in my mind with the game, you know, the Hall of Fame represents the game of hockey, college hockey, AHL, the whole game. There are, there are people that shot the AHL when I was shooting the AHL uh, that, you know, like the Hershey Bears. I remember hearing a story that it was a husband and wife, you know, team that was shooting the Hershey Bears for a number of years. And, you know, they should be noted. They should be recognized in a roundabout way. Wherever their archive may be, they were a photographer that shot the game all the photographers that now shoot with AP USA press wire, the, you know, in a roundabout way, if an association was formed, 
by out, some out, you know, I don't have the time to deal with it. Number one. And number two, I'm still shooting the game. So I could give some advice, but I don't, you know, the finger has been pointed at me to try to do something, but no, I'm still shooting the game. Maybe after I've retired five or six years or something like that, and I'm still breathing, <laughs> you know, I'm still on the planet, but it should be recognized is what I'm saying. These, these pioneers, you know, you know, I mean, I remember going into the garden, doing some research for a Bruins book back in the day, the 75th anniversary book, when they were using my pictures and they wanted some research. I went to a library and I went through this collection of four by five glass negatives, you know, and four by five negatives taken by a Leslie Jones. And I was just blown away. You know, the old classic, the Krautline pose together, you know, the team photo, which in those days probably only had about 16, 17 players, stuff like that. Who was paying for his film? Who was paying for his processing? Who was paying for his time to go to the rink and shoot that? You know, what were the outlets? There were no outlets. It wasn't card companies. There wasn't poster companies. It wasn't video game companies. You know, when I was entrenched in that licensing business, there was a lot of, there was a lot of market out there. Bruce Bennett and I, the guy out of New York, you know, we were head to head. We're good friends, but, you know, he had his market. I had my market. Competition. And... I built a business. He built a business. You know, he went on to Getty. Great. Okay. The NHL turned around and acquired my archive. Okay, cool. But now moving forward, what's going to happen? You know, and yeah. And I I don't know. I'd also say, I would also say too, that, and going backwards in time, right. As history becomes intriguing or situations or anniversaries uh, come up, right. And, and, and uh, a dive into, the archives into the libraries and that kind of stuff. I mean, in many respects, uh, there's a whole trove of those folks, even preceding you right back in the day that, you know, and other sports and, and, and for us sports and teams and leagues that don't even exist anymore. Right. When they're quote unquote rediscovered um, it's um, I think you're, you're tapping into something that's much bigger uh, than just the sport of hockey when it comes to this kind of stuff. Oh yeah, no, it's, I'm sure it's in all, in all sports, you know what I'm saying? And, and, um, you know, it's just that I saw that magazine cover at 12 years old and my dad was a church decorator. He would do cathedrals, stained glass, gold leafing. And I found my father's brother's military trunk from world war one. And there were photographs in that trunk that he had taken himself with his camera. So something rubbed off on me from an artsy standpoint with his brother, my dad, but then when I saw that photo in the game on a magazine cover, it just said, okay. And that's kind of like when I picked up a camera, an Instamatic camera back in the day. And I started going to Bruins practices, just taking pictures, putting them on the wall just to have. I still have those, those binders of that stuff. And, you know, I didn't think it was going to turn into a 50-year career, not only in baseball. Think about it. I wanted to play baseball. I wanted to play professional baseball. I was scouted. You know, I was told I had the talent to play baseball, but I got hurt playing hockey. But the joke around town here is that, Steve, you just figured out a way to play in the big leagues for 50 years. And I just remember going down to spring training that first year when I was shooting for the Fleer Baseball Card Company and sitting in the Detroit Tigers dugout at 830 in the morning waiting for them to come out on the field. And I'm sitting there that first year, and I'm looking up to the sky, and I'm saying, Uncle Lenny and Dad, I made it to the big leagues, just not with a bat, ball, and a glove. 
I made it with a camera. Mighty, mighty thanks to Babs for that conversation. Gotta get the book. Uh, if you uh, fancy yourself uh, any sort of aficionado, or at least even a passing memory of the World Hockey Association, do yourself a favor and uh, and run, don't walk, to get this beautifully photographed, uh, uh, just uh, treasure after treasure uh, book called Behind the Lens, the World Hockey Association 50 Years Later. Uh, it is uh, featuring uh, all of the great uh, photographic works of Steve Babineau. It is uh, co uh, written or is it is written by Brian Codanone and the forward is by our episode number 100 and episode number 259 guest the great Howard Baldwin so there's a there's an excuse to get the book right there just for that that alone uh, it is available wherever you can find uh, good books and of course we appreciate it if you uh, looked at our website at goodseatstillavailable.com searching up this episode number 293 and you'll find a convenient link to it there. Uh, and uh, we'll get a, a shekel or two of love, referrally, if that's a word, uh, courtesy of Amazon. Of course, you'll get it as fast as humanly possible, uh, especially if you're a Prime member. And uh, why wouldn't you want to get it post-haste? And again, behind the lens, the World Hockey Association, 50 years later, you will love it, uh, I guarantee uh, you will hopefully also love our uh, all of our past episodes, which you can find on our website, again, at goodseatstillavailable.com. They're all there for you. You can stream them. You can share them. You can do whatever you want with them uh, within legal boundaries, of course. Uh, but the best way, of course, is to subscribe or follow us wherever you get podcasts. We are universally available. So there's really no pod catcher or stitcher or player or whatever uh, that's out there that doesn't uh, get Good seats still available. Just search it up uh, and, uh, and just, you know check the box or whatever you got to do. And by the way, if you're on Apple in particular, but elsewhere too, if there's a possibility, give us some uh, give us some uh, some love of uh, five star reviews and, and some constructive uh, either criticism or praise or whatever. We'd love that too. That uh, will help the algorithms out there that float around uh, and help others like you uh, to discover this show and hopefully uh, subscribe and follow themselves. We appreciate that. Uh, our email address is hello at goodseatsstillavailable.com. You can follow us on social media uh, on various places. You'll find us on Facebook. You'll find us on uh, Instagram. I think our tag there is uh, goodseatsstillavailable. Yep, that's correct. And on Twitter, you'll find us at goodseatsstill. Uh, what else? Uh, our great thanks, of course, to the wonderful and uh, very generous with his time and his uh, talents, Jerry Payne. Jerry Payne Audio Excellence for the editing and uh, production goodness this week. Thank you, kind sir. And thank you, kind listener, for listening thus far. Uh, more good stuff to come next week. Stay tuned for it. We'll see you in our in your feed. And until next week, please stay safe and sane. And um, we appreciate your listening. Bye. <laughs>